Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Today we're continuing uh, in our series in the book of Matthew, and last week we talked about greatness. It was all about greatness, that as image bearers of, of God, that God has put his imprint, he has put eternity on our hearts, it's, he's put something within us that, that wants greatness, that wants meaning, that wants uh, purpose, and, and so we uh, instinctively pursue it, and it's not a pursuit of greatness uh, that's wrong. In fact, you know, if you ever think like, oh man, it sounds kind of prideful. No, no, God wants you to pursue greatness. The issue isn't that you're pursuing it. The issue is how you're pursuing it. Uh, because often we come up empty. So we, we pursue it in a career, relationship, fame, success. True greatness can only be found in Jesus. And uh, last week was, again, about greatness. This week is about rest. Last week was Jesus and greatness. Today is Jesus and rest. Oh, then the title just feels good, rest. <laughs> Last week, uh, Jesus wanted to inspire you. This week, I believe he wants to heal you. He wants to calm you. He wants to settle you. Today's topic is Jesus and rest. His invitation in these famous words, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is uh, kind of quoting uh, Jeremiah 6.16 that says, if you follow the way of, if you follow my ways, you will have rest. Jesus kind of says, well, let me adjust that a little bit. You come to me and you will have rest. Like greatness, true rest can only be found in the, per- in the person of Jesus. But there are two qualifiers. Not everyone receives this rest. He does say all, but he says all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden. So you have to be heavy laden. Why might you be heavy laden? Well, according to Jesus, it's because of what you're yoked to. He says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. One translation says, a real rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is is light. Now, at first glance, you may be thinking, like, wait a minute. Why is he giving me a yoke? I thought he was supposed to be giving me rest. He's adding. He's not taking. Well, what he's saying is every person on the face of the planet is yoked to something. If you're unfamiliar with a yoke, a yoke is uh, like a wooden beam that connects two uh, oxen together, typically, and they, and they work together, they partner together. And he's saying everybody is already yoked to something. And, what, and that thing that you're yoked to is causing you, it's what's causing you to be heavy laden. It's what's causing you to not experience rest. It's not that you're yoked to something that's causing you to be It's not the simple fact that you're yoked to something. You're just yoked to the wrong thing. What you're yoked to is demanding of you, is is requiring that you serve it. It's this thing that's put out in front of you that says, if you get this, then you'll be settled. Then you'll have what you want. Then you'll be, you know, you'll you'll have, you'll, oh yeah, I'm there now. You know, maybe it's, oh, if I could just be the parent, then, then I'll feel like, man, I've got rest for my soul. If I could just get that career, if I could just get that income, and I've talked to you, 
And I've talked to some of you who have, who've, who've had great success. I'm like, well, how's it going? Like, wow, you know, I'm just, it's going good. Still feels a little bit like a burden though. So you've, you've yoked yourself to something that's demanding of you. He says, but if you take my yoke on, it's easy and light. So he says in other places, he says, he says, I've not come to be served. You see, all these other things that you're yoking yourself up to demand that you serve them. If you chase money, they demand that you serve them. If you chase, uh, relate, they're going to demand that you serve them. I have not come to be served. I have come to serve you. You think this thing is going to pull you on in life, but you're actually the one that's being burdened and heavy laden by it. If you come to me, my yoke, it's going to feel light. It's going to feel like, you know what it's going to feel like? It's going to feel like green pastures in still waters, even though you're going through it, through the valley of the shadow of death. So the first thing in order to receive this rest is you have to admit the thing that you're yoked to is weighing you down. You have to confess your need, in other words. You have to say that I don't have it all together. I, I have some, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't have it all together. I need something. So you have to confess your need. The second thing you do, you have to come to him, which means that you have to have faith that he's going to do something about it, that he is a rewarder of those who pursue him, that in him, that he can, that he, that I can cast my anxiety on him because he does care for me. And if you read through the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice is that Jesus is almost irresistibly drawn to two things, faith and need. He's drawn to faith. He sees a, you know, there's a woman with the issue of blood and, and her faith, he's drawn to her faith. A Roman centurion says, hey, will you heal my servant? He says, yeah, sure, I'll come. He's like, no, 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 you don't even need to come. You say the word and my servant will be healed. And he marvels at this faith. He's irresistibly drawn to that faith, that this idea that people believe that God can do something about it. Secondly, he's drawn to need. We've already talked about this in this series with compassion, his motivation for his mission is he would see people as hurting and helpless. People would say, I have this need. In fact, sometimes you draw it out of them. What do you want me to do for you? What need do you have? Well, I have this need. And it's at this intersection of us confessing a need and us bringing our faith that encounter that amazing things can happen. Let me just say from the, the onset that the end of this service, let me tell you where this is going. At the end of this service, there's going to be an opportunity for you to do those two things in receiving prayer. One is you confessing, hey, I have a need. It could be restlessness. It could be a physical thing. It could be an emotion. It could be a lot of different things. I've got a need, and I am going to express faith that God can do something about it. So I want you to get you ready to encounter Jesus today. So how do we get this rest, or why do we have this rest, and what can we say about this? Well, you'll notice two verses were read which is a bit unusual, but intentional. And in our Western mind, we see these two verses almost like two different commands. So the first one, Luke 9, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, there's an invitation to discipleship. So I put that in that box. And then, but I have this other one that says, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. So the, there's two invitations, right? One for discipleship and one for rest. Let me just say, it is the same invitation. It's the same invitation. They're not separate because denying yourself and resting is what something uh, called Sabbath was all about. And you might have heard that word thrown around and 
church circles that's associated with taking a day off. Well, in Leviticus 16.31, which is um, the Jewish people around him would have recognized, they would have connected denying yourself with Sabbath. It is a day of Sabbath, it says in Leviticus. You must deny yourselves. You must deny yourselves. For those unfamiliar with the Old Testament, God created this, this community called the Israelites, and he, he made this covenant to them that, if, hey, if you obey this, my commands, I'll be with you, I'll love you, I'll serve you, I'll provide for you. You obey, you do, and, and then I'll respond to that. And one of those things was a rigorous adherence to a 24-hour period uh, where you didn't do anything. And it was a day of worship to acknowledge uh, while they did nothing, God did everything. Now, that's really important. Sabbath wasn't a break from doing something that was unnecessary. Sabbath was a break from doing something that was necessary. So there's a cult, they live in a culture where in order to eat seven days, you had to work seven days. And God's saying, hey, look, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to work seven days. I only want you to work six, which they would have said, well, what about eating on that seventh day? And he says, you're going to trust me. I will provide for you. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. They li lived in this culture. Those of you who can't rest until the job is done know what I'm talking about. So like, you know, people come to, hey, Brian, you should take a break. I can't take a break until I know this thing over here that I have to do is going to be taken care of as good or better than I would do it. Because you just telling me to take a break, all I'm thinking about is this thing I have to do. And once I'm done with my break, I get to go do it. In fact, now it's bigger and stronger and hairier and going to devour me. So I can't take, I just can't take a break. I have to trust you that you're going to do something about it as good or better. I have to yield control to you and my ability to yield and control to you and trust you, that is to the degree that I can rest. And that's what God was saying. You have to deny yourself. You have to deny that you are the one who provides for you and you have to trust that I am going to be the one that provides you. What makes Sabbath a day of rest isn't simply that you don't do anything, is that you trust that he is doing everything and supplying on your behalf. Now, what's interesting here, though, is that Sabbath in the Old Testament was once a week, but Jesus is saying that this is something we're meant to experience daily, deny yourself daily. And the reason is because we understand that the teachings of Jesus were based upon the death, burial, and resurrection, and that he was a fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets, all of what they said. So when Jesus came on the scene, he said, I have not come to abandon the law. I have come to fulfill it, which is to specifically say that he has fulfilled the Sabbath. So in other words, he's saying, when you come to me, you experience Sabbath daily. You experience rest daily. Christian, you don't know what it feels like to walk beside Jesus. It feels like rest. If you're wondering you're new to Christianity or you're wondering, hey, maybe I might be interested. You want to know what it's like? It is rest. Even though you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll be okay. Why will I be okay? Because I'm in the valley of shadow of death. No, because you trust that while you do nothing, he is doing everything to lead you to still waters and green pastures. Rest. Rest.
Don't be anxious. Don't be stressed. Trust him. So the rest of our time, I want to talk a little bit about how we do that and what it looks like. Three things. Firstly, we rest in the work of Jesus. We rest in the work of Jesus. We take on his Yo, Christians are those who rest in the work of Jesus. To deny yourself as you let go of what you do, what you've done, what you've tried, what you've accomplished, the identity that I get out of being a good parent, a good employee, a great career in education. I, I, don't, I don't find my identity. I don't trust in my work. I trust in his work on my behalf. One of the seven statements that Jesus made in the final six hours of his life while hanging on a cross between two thieves is it is finished. What was finished? The work that he had to do. That Greek word means it's paid in full. The victory has been won. It is finished. He has finished a work on our behalf. And he uh, didn't just do that. He didn't just uh, pay the penalty for our sin, but the Bible says that he became our sin and he ushered in a new way of living which stands upon his work and not ours. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this very famously, you know, you're a new creation. He says, the old has gone. What is the old? The, the old way of relying on self, promoting self. I, I, you know, if I do these things, then I'll be okay. He says, the old way is gone. The new has come. You are now a new creation in Christ. How is that possible? Because he who knew no sin became sin. Not only that, not only did he forgive your sin, your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. Let me tell you about your sin. Your sin does not compare, does not measure up to his grace and his blood that paid for your sin, past, present, and future. But it's not just that. He who knew no sin became your sin so that you could have the righteousness of God so that you could stand what gives you rest, what gives you peace, what gives you this sense of I am right with God, I am right with the world, regardless of circumstances, I am standing in his grace. What gives you peace is you're trusting in that work and not the work that you do. And that gives your soul Rest. And now our ministry, so we have now we have this ministry of reconciliation. Our ministry is to declare to one another and to declare to the world around us that he's done it, that he is he is he has come to earth, he's lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for us, and he rose to new life, and he hands out to every man, woman, child the offer of forgiveness of sins and right relationship with him, a righteousness that is given to us, not a righteousness on our own that we pursue. And that, my brothers and sisters, we are meant to daily live in the work of Jesus. We rest in the way, the, the work of Jesus. We also rest in the way of Jesus. We yield to the way of Jesus. We trust in the way of Jesus. Check out what Paul says to the Galatians in chapter six. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Um, it's interesting. He's saying the world, like the world system, uh, the way the world does things, what it values, how it behaves. It has all been crucified to me. It's like a dead corpse to me. I have no value. I have no esteem for how the world does things. I no longer crave the results and recognition that the world does. 
craving results and recognition leads to something called comparison. And comparison is exhausting because there's always someone prettier, sharper, more likes, more followers. And it will lead you to a place ultimately that will cause you to say to yourself, what is wrong with me? leads to anxiety, it leads to depression, it leads to the very opposite of rest. I'm going to trust in his work. I'm going to trust in his ways. I'm not going to try to control outcomes. Anybody here try to tr control outcomes? I'm gonna, I need to control how this relationship's going to play out. I need to control how this work situation is going to play out. I'm gonna, I got to control how people uh, look at me and affirm me. I, I got to control these things and James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way. He says, why do you do that? Why do you say we're going to go to this city and carry out business? You know, what is your life? Your life is like a mist. It's here today, gone tomorrow. You should say what you should say is if the Lord wills. In other words, that you are daily yielding to the will of the Lord. You're trusting results and recognition to Jesus that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he's going to get me to where I need to go, that, that he is working in all things for my good. He's going to get me where I need to go. I am trusting in the way of Jesus. I got to be honest with you. I have a, um, I don't, I don't turn the uh, GPS voice on. I, I don't like her voice. Uh, <laughs> It's not that I don't like her voice, sorry. I don't like, I don't, she, here's, here's my problem. She either says too much or says too little. Like, she's always like, hey, you know, that's enough already. But then I'll go miles and it's like, she's not saying anything. It's like, you kind of want like, hey, you're on the right track. You know, you're going the right way. Like, give me some affirmation. And, um, and but here's, a, here's the way GPS works. GPS speaks up. When, it, when what you're doing affects destination. And so like, you know, you get to the turn, it's like, make the turn, make the, oh, I missed a turn. Well, guess what? It gives you a route how to get back to your destination. If you missed that, it gives you another route to get back to your destination. Here's how God works. Sometimes like, won't, won't God tell me everything's okay? Why don't he say something? Well, when you, have, when you mess up, when you go this way and you go that way, God has a way of getting you back to where he needs to go. You may have to sleep with the pigs for a few days. You may have to you know, sleep in the belly of a whale, but he will get you to where you need to go. That's why you and I can trust in his way that, that I am going to rest in the fact that God ultimately is going to have his way in my life as I yield to him as I trust in his sovereignty. And by the way, that's what prayer is all about. Prayer is expressing our dependence on him and his sovereignty. When we come to pray, we realize that, hey, I, I'm depending on someone else and something else to, to live. I'm, it's not up to me. And prayer is an expression of dependence. So I hope you join us that week of prayer. Lastly, so we, we trust in his work and his way, but lastly, we trust in his wisdom. We trust in his wisdom. Paul tells the Corinthians uh, in his first letter, chapter two. And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Check this out. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That your faith would not rest, and that's a good idea. I like that. That's going to help me. Your faith rests in the power of God. That is to say the presence of Jesus. One translation says, um, when, when Paul says, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and I'm crucified. One translation says, I determined to be consumed with one topic. What does it mean to rest in the wisdom of Jesus? It means to be consumed with one topic. Does it mean there are not other topics? Does it mean uh, those don't have a, a, a place? But the obsession, the thing that you live with and walk with on a daily basis is you are consumed with one topic. That is the death and resurrection of Jesus and all that it accomplishes for me and the world. In fact, Paul said to the Philippians, I count it everything I've learned up to this point rubbish compared to knowing about him. I am consumed with the wisdom of Jesus. Notice here, Paul, though, says to the Corinthians, I don't want these sermons to hit you in such a way that you think, oh, man, that's really wise. That's really crafty. I'm going to try those three things. I'm going to apply these five things to my life. Paul says, I want what I want to be left when I'm done talking. Here's what I want you uh, to be impressed with. I want it. I want you to be left with the power in the presence of Jesus. That when I'm done talking, that what you're not thinking about is the wisdom of men, the traditions of men, this principle, this thing over here. But I want you to be left with, wow, Jesus is with me. He loves me and he wants to bless my life. I want you to be left with Jesus. It reminds me of this strange scene in the life of Jesus called the Mount of Transfiguration. You'll if you read ahead in Matthew, Matthew 17, you can uh, check this out. But his disciples take, um, or excuse me, Jesus takes three of his 12 disciples up this mountain to pray. And these guys do what they always do when Jesus takes them to pray, is that they fall asleep. And, um, and they wake up, and when they wake up, they wake up to a phenomenon. I mean, something they've never seen. Like he, Jesus is trans, he's white, his face is glowing. But not only that, uh, Peter, anyway, recognizes, I don't know how you recognize, but he recognizes there's Elijah and there's Moses, these guys, these Hebrew heroes from antiquity. And now in a place called Forever, he sees these two men and he's just like, Jesus, it's so good that I'm here because I want to I build three tabernacles, three memorials, if you will. You know, one for one for Jesus and one for Elijah and one for Moses. It's like, I've got my three heroes right here. Uh, you know, they're the peers almost. You know, you've got Jesus and you've got Elijah, the great giver of, Elijah, the great prophet, and Moses, the great giver of the law. And he's like, man, it's like Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus the prophets, Jesus plus uh, tradition. And, and he calls them, he calls them peers. And... Um, he gets all excited about this. And as he's saying this, uh, a cloud, a thick cloud covers the scene uh, to send a message almost overtly that this is not about Elijah. 
that this is not about prophets. This is not about the law. This is not about the wisdom of men. And I don't know who you would put on this mountain, who your heroes would be, but who would you be excited to see Jesus standing next to? Maybe, maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a political party. And, it will, and Peter does what we want. We want to build memorials to these things. But this cloud comes over and covers the seam. And then it lifts. And guess who's not there? Moses and Elijah. Guess who's not there? The law and the prophets. Peter gets all excited because he sees the law and the prophets talking to the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and he thinks they're peers. And the message is they're not peers. In fact, one translation after the cloud lifts is it just says, and, and they're with Jesus alone. Jesus alone. If I could be so bold as to say, God, would you bring that cloud again? Would you bring that cloud over anything that would put anything in the same room as Jesus? Rules, regulations, success. Jubilee Church, we will build no memorials to tradition, to the wisdom of men, to law, for they do not have the power to produce a right relationship with God. They always fall short. What happened in this scene is what Paul wanted, which is they were left with not wise words from men, not three steps to a better life. They were left with the person of Jesus, the power and presence of God. And I've got good news for you. He's here today. And my prayer for us coming in today is that God would put a cloud over anything that you see that you would put on par with Jesus, that you would see these things that I'm chasing, they are yokes that are weighing me down. They are causing me to be heavy laden. They're causing me to be anxious. They do not have the power to produce a right relationship with God. Therefore, they do not have the power to give my soul rest. Are you heavy laden this morning? Do you want rest? Come to him. Come to a person. Don't come to a principle. Don't come to an idea. Don't come to things that you can do and you can leave here and do yourself. Come to the person of Jesus. Would you stand with me? I want to invite those who typically pray for others to come forward. And as I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And maybe you've never come forward like at a 
church service before and your life as a Christian has been centered around coming to a service, getting a little bit of inspiration or instruction, and then going home and seeking to apply it to your life. And I just wanna say graciously, if that's you, how's it working for you? Do you find yourself being in a place of rest? Do you find yourself being in a place of peace regardless of circumstances? Or do you feel dragged around by how's it going at work? How's it going in your relationships? How's it going in your finances? If those are good, you're good. Do you want real rest? Do you want deep rest? Express your need and express your faith that Jesus is a rewarder of those who seek him. See, Peter would get it right later in his writings when he would say, cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you. The person of Jesus is here and he wants to work in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you for, you loved us so much. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus, we must have been something for you to leave heaven, to come to earth, to live a perfect life and die in our place, to raise to new life. And, and now you don't call us to follow rules that we could have never followed, but you promised to live in and through us. You said, I'll take that burden. I'll take that yoke, take on my yoke. It's light, it's easy, and it is the key to a real rest. I've come to serve you and live through you. So Jesus, we want to do that. We want a real rest. We're gonna yield. We're gonna trust in your work. We're gonna daily trust in your work on our behalf. We're gonna trust in your ways and we're gonna trust in your wisdom. God, what we want is you. So God, we come and express our faith and express our need and trust that you will give us a real rest.